Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Nathan Maines. Welcome to Keystone Education Radio. Today I'll be talking with Dr. Joseph Roy, Superintendent of Bethlehem Area School District, about using social media to interact with students and how he makes the call on weather-related closings and delays. Later we'll be bringing you interviews with two legislators about the governor's budget address, We'll be highlighting a unique program in a North Allegheny Middle School. First, let's talk with Dr. Roy. Dr. Roy, tell us a little bit more about how you got involved with social media. Sure. Um, about five years ago, uh, we were, you know, looking to, as a district, how we could use social media um, to get out the good word about what goes on in the district. And uh, we were looking at Facebook, and at that time, we actually decided to hold off on Facebook because um, you really need someone to moderate it, and that requires staffing and someone to do that. And um, to have a Facebook page that has no interactions at all is basically a web page. So we held off on that, and we decided uh, that I, I decided to create a Twitter account, uh, and my assistant superintendent did as well. And that's... Uh, kind of how we got started with the intent to use a superintendent Twitter account to push out good stories. You purposely push out good stories as well as weather-related ones? Yes. A lot of what I I send out um, are links to local uh, newspaper articles. We're fortunate to have a couple of dailies in the Lehigh Valley or our local television station. And so a lot of times I just... um, tweet out stories related to the district, um, and uh, my theory being that not that many, especially kids, it's good for kids to see what's going on across the district, and parents, and not everybody's reading the daily paper anymore, so if I can pick out a story that's specific to the district and tweet it out, um, it'll get people's attention. How many followers are you up to these days? I did break the 10,000 uh, limit uh, um, as a ceiling as a result of the the BuzzFeed attention the other day, I've been went, literally when we started this, and I was you know new to Twitter and new to all of this. My goal was a hundred. That was the goal was to have a hundred followers. So, you mentioned BuzzFeed. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, well, I think what happened was um, my oldest daughter is an editor at New York Magazine, and she tweeted, we made a decision to close school um, on Wednesday night for Thursday. So we announced it the night before. And my daughter tweeted something like, you know, now my favorite part uh, is to watch the high school students' responses, you know, to my father's, you know, snow day call. And I think because a lot of her followers are in the media world, um, it really kind of took off. And um, I think a lot of people were nostalgic, looking back on their days of high school, you know, and waiting for those snow calls. And so one thing led to another. It went viral, I guess, as they say. And then I had a contact from BuzzFeed and Huffington Post as well, actually. What are the best responses you've gotten from students on social media? Yeah, well, you know, everybody's happy when you call for a snow day. So not everyone's happy if you don't call for the snow day they want. So this was a happy time. So um, just, you know, funny comments about, you know, uh, the superintendent and me being, uh, you know, their hero. And somebody uh, had taken uh, Google history timeline, like most famous people in history, and uh, cut and pasted my face into this, like, timeline of pictures of famous historical figures. That was one of my favorites. Um, 
and uh, even guessed close to the correct birth date year. So that was that was good too. So, what goes into a school decision uh, when delaying or canceling school due to weather? Yeah. So this, I mean, this is you know one of the most, uh, or probably maybe the most stressful uh, ongoing uh, issue that superintendents have to deal with is making that decision whether to close school or to have a delay or a dismissal, and. Um, so I know in our area here in the Lehigh Valley, we have basically we have a large uh, superintendent email group. So we're all kind of uh, sharing ideas and thoughts on what to do. Um, additionally, I have um, you know, either talking directly or texting with a couple of super other superintendents, and um, because you know you, you want to make as best you can a, a decision everybody's district is different as far as roads and conditions but you also um you know want to make something that's in line with everyone else's thinking so the things we look at are um you know what's the timing when are things forecast to happen as far as uh you know it's going to be overnight is it in the middle of the day the morning um so we look at timing we look at type of precipitation freezing rain sleet snow wet snow uh we look at um the confidence level of the forecast um as far as the percent you know chance of of uh, precipitation i have um uh, subscribed to a couple of weather services so i get those specific um bulletins and as well with regard to our local weather um and then we you know if it is snowing if there are conditions that are actually happening then we get out on the roads and uh we drive you know i have a couple people drive i actually get out myself just because i feel more comfortable seeing the conditions myself so i will take you know get up at about 3 45 drive for 45 minutes or so be back by 4 30 in the morning, and then uh, that's usually when the superintendent emails discussions start about what's going on. Um, so uh, we're a big district. We have a lot of walkers. We have, I don't know, maybe probably 5,000 walkers and about 10,000 students we bus. So um, you have to think about the walkers walking on sidewalks. Um, we worry about, you know, if, the, if it's uh, icy and the sidewalks aren't cleared, then kids are going to walk in the street because they, they may have been plowed, but then you have kids walking on you know, snow-covered streets, you know, when cars are going by. So we worry about that. We worry about getting all of our buses on the road, got to get the snow off the top of buses. So there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that have to come together uh, in order to be able to open. That sounds very complicated. Do you have a director of transportation or somebody that oversees that? Yeah, our facilities uh, director also oversees our transportation manager, and so he is the person I talk to in the district as far as, you know, what's what's going on. And then making the decision, we, you know, we have 22 schools, so uh, we do contract out um, for a couple of our largest lots at, at our one elementary and high school complex. But um, mostly, you know, our guys do the plowing, and then, of course, the custodians do all the sidewalk clearing. So um, there's really, you know, sometimes it just comes down to, you know, we just can't, it's not physically possible to be ready, even with a delay. Um, and those are those are the, you know, times when, it, when you have to close it. I'm sure as you've been working on social media, uh, you've come across some drawbacks or concerns being expressed by some folks about interacting with students on social media. How's that gone? Yeah, sure. Um, over the years, um, there have been a couple of times that people created imposter accounts and where they uh, have 
it looks exactly like my page except that the um, handle if you will is slightly different for example mine is at b-a-s-d-s-u-p-t and you could put a period in between B-A-S-D, we could put a period anywhere between the letters or an underscore, and it will look very much like mine, but not be mine. Um, and so that's happened two or three times over the years, not recently, knock on wood. Um, but Twitter has a process where you um, can lodge that complaint or that issue, demonstrate through providing some identification that um, it's an imposter account and then they pretty quickly shut it down. Most of the time, people don't fall for it anyway, um, but that's been a concern um, because someone you know, could put out false information um, on a closure or on anything. Uh, but Twitter's been, they act pretty quickly in those cases. There are also um, parody accounts, which they, Twitter does not close down. So if it's it clearly marked, this is a parody account of the Dr. Roy, then unless it's, you know, doing something that violates Twitter's rules, um, they don't close those down. And that's fine. I just live with those. Um, there are some out there that I know my older daughters think are hilarious, but I don't really look at them. Is Twitter the only way that, that Bethlehem area is looking right now at making these announcements uh, to schools and to families? Yeah, no. No, we do all. I mean, that's that's we do all the we have the, you know, the robocalling. So everybody gets a call at home nowadays. We do, and that includes a, an email component. We do the television, the radio, the website. Um, but I think for most kids, uh, and many, and many, many parents too, my tweet um, is the quicker. You know, as soon as we make the decision, I set everything in motion by making a couple phone calls, and then I set and tweet. So my it's the, the first thing that gets out because it takes a little bit for the phone calls to get rolling and so forth. So, um, and that's really what was the unexpected. I'm like, when I started the Twitter, my goal was just really communications and PR. Um, and I really thought more to parents. Um, and then because of the snow day, um, the, um, actually it might have been when, when we had the hurricane, what was it? a few years ago we had a hurricane that came through, we were shut for a while. And uh, I think that's when the followers really picked up. And then kids caught on that that's the fastest way to get the any delay or closing information. So that's when the followers uh, started to grow. Do you have any advice or any tips uh, that you'd give to other school leaders or students uh, about how best to interact on social media? Yeah, well, um, you know, on the on the very positive side, um, bec- in this large district, you know, we have two high schools, one with 3,000 students, one with 2,000 students, and, and even at the, our four middle schools. In a district this size, it'd be very unlikely that the majority of the students would know who the superintendent is and recognize the superintendent without Twitter and social media. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, through the um, digital side of social media, people have, students feel they have a personal connection to the superintendent. So when I visit a high school, like I was at Liberty High School this morning just visiting, kids are excited to see me and say hello because they know me through Twitter. So it's, it's built, the, the online relationship has kind of built the personal connection, which was uh, completely an unexpected uh, consequence and positive consequence of, of it. So it's really helped with, um, with the student relationships connecting to the superintendent. 
on the on the um, on the advice side, I guess I would remind um, school leaders and students that um, Twitter is an informal means of communication often, and often people students need to be reminded, hey, you're tweeting the superintendent. I'm the superintendent. You don't call me, you know, hey, Roy, what's happening with the weather tomorrow? I'll block you if you do that. So anytime uh, I sense anyone is even remotely disrespectful, um, even like that, even not referring to me as Dr. Roy, I'll block them. Um, and that kind of, so I set kind of a high bar. Um, sometimes I'll remind kids, um, you know, that you're talking to the superintendent. You know, let's, it's not, I know it's Twitter, but, you know, let's have, a, let's have an appropriate conversation. Um, so I've set kind of a high bar, and then um, really, again, knock on wood, that I haven't had many issues with that in the last couple of years. The other interesting thing is that students, um, they often police themselves, which is really interesting. So, again, it hasn't really happened for a while, but in, in the past, um, if someone was disrespectful to me, on those times when I'm not calling the two-hour delay or closing school, um, other kids will get on them and say, hey, you know, knock it off, you're talking to Dr. Roy. Um, so there's some self-policing, which is kind of cool. Um, but otherwise, if, if, if a student forgets that they're interacting with the superintendent and they're disrespectful, I just block them. Then I'll, later I'll run into kids, and they'll, you know, I'll run into them at an event at a basketball game and say, hey, Dr. Roy, you blocked me. Why did you block me? I have no idea. I don't remember. <laughs> So um, if, they, if they ask me uh, politely, I usually tell them, hey, you know, shoot me an email, give me your Twitter handle, and I'll unblock you. Um, and I've done that on a, any number of occasions um, when kids have seen me in person um, and asked me to unblock them. Is there anything else we haven't touched on that you want to mention that's important? I think that um, I have been very, very um, cautious to um, not use my... Uh, district, my superintendent Twitter account for personal stuff. I will occasionally mention my one, I have older daughters, but I also have a daughter in first grade in one of our schools here. So occasionally I'll put a picture of her or something connected to her school. But I, you know, keep a pretty clean line between, you know, this and any personal stuff. Um, and um, also try to, I, I am, I definitely use it to push out uh, advocate, public education advocacy stuff so that, you know, there's the whole other side of other group of followers are not students, but people who are parents or and or other people across the public education community really nationally at this point. And so I do use it to push out, uh, you know, pro-public education advocacy uh, issues, but I stick to education issues. You know, I don't step out of things that aren't directly relevant to uh, the business of our school district and I think and, and so I'm very I think I think long and hard sometimes about do, is this something I want to make a comment on or not and and I pretty hew pretty closely to the it's got to be a public education issue and it's got to have a direct impact on our district then as a CEO and the leader of the district uh, I'm, I'm happy to advocate for it. Dr. Roy, as always, a pleasure connecting with you. Thank you for joining us on Keystone Education Radio. Sure. My pleasure. PowerSchool is the leading K-12 education technology provider of solutions that improve the education experience for 100 million students, teachers, and parents in over 70 countries around the world. 
PowerSchool provides the industry's first unified classroom experience, empowering teachers with best-in-class, secure, and compliant online solutions, including student information systems, learning management and classroom collaboration, assessment, analytics, behavior, special education case management, and finance HR ERP. Learn how PowerSchool does all of this and drive student growth. Next up, we'll focus on Governor Wolf's proposed state budget. We're bringing you interviews with two PA Education Committee chairs recorded right after the governor's budget address on February 7th at the state capitol in Harrisburg. Conducting the interviews was John Callahan. He's PSBA's chief lobbyist. First, John talks with Democratic Senator Andrew Dinneman, representing the 19th District. Senator, it's John Callahan, PSBA. Good and to meet you, John. Yeah, I know, we met each other yeah, Many, many a time. You're, you grew up in my, my district. I did. <laughs> and, uh, and Chairman of the Senate Education Committee, we're very thankful that you're here today. Really quick, I mean, reactions to this budget, reaction to the education spending, and where do we go from here over the next few months? Well, the, uh, um, the education budget is very sparse, but I suppose we're fortunate that we got anything True. in this particular budget. Uh, uh, when you divide up the amount of monies that school districts will get, $100 million doesn't go very far. $75 million in special ed doesn't go very far. So I think that we really uh, need to review that budget. Uh, also, I hope that we'll take a real look at the $60 million every year that's in the assessment budget. Uh, because uh, that money that we're using and spending on all these testing and testing would be far better, in my opinion, to be spent on, on in the classroom and education uh, of each and every student. And in fact, the governor has asked, asked for suggestions on how to save money. And I hope to be able to convey to him that uh, we can save a significant amount if we stop this ex excessive testing. And, and, and because if, it's not a, if schools don't have the resources to teach, we already know what the test results will be. But if we put it into teaching, if we put it into education of every student, uh, uh, then we will have, we'll be spending that money so much more effectively, so much more wisely. So the, sum, the summation is that uh, education is not helped a great deal in this budget, but, uh, but at least we got something and many other areas of state government got nothing. And that we now need to look at some of these areas where we're continuing to spend education money as the 60 million that usually is spent on assessment, as the excessive testing that the state involves us in, and see if we can get some of that money now returned uh, to the school districts, returned to the education of each and every student. Great. Well, thank you for being on camera today. Thank you for doing this really quick. Oh, no, it's, it's my pleasure. You know, I was on the school board once. I know. Uh, and and Chester County town. misses you. I mean, well, Downingtown misses you. Chester County misses you doing that. But yeah, now you're, uh, you're onward. The well, thing. and so I do know the problems. And yep. the difficulty is that when the state cuts its money, like, you know, it doesn't go up enough, property taxes are going to go sky high. And so we really have to start to look at ways uh, uh, other than this, this, the, uh, the instruction program in, uh, in how we can save some money. But good Great. to be with you, John. Thank you, Senator. You're welcome. Talk soon. John also had the opportunity to talk with Republican Senator John Eichelberger, representing the 30th District. Thank you for joining us. Chairman of the uh, Senate Education Committee, Senator Eichelberger, thank you for joining us really quick on the budget. You just heard it, probably looked at it very briefly. What's your initial reaction? What do you think 
the next six months going to mean for us? Well, I think it's going to be a long battle this year. Uh, the, the, uh, we're still going through details, so we, we don't know a whole lot at this point. We just got it today. Some of the leadership got it last evening. But um, school funding, um, I mean, I, I'm not convinced that we need more money in the system. I mean, we've been looking at a lot of money. Most of the money, as you know, goes to uh, Philadelphia and some of the, the failing schools. Their test scores haven't gotten better with, with a lot more money. So um, I, don't, I don't know that we're, we're seeing any benefit from that. So we've got to look at changing some of the system. And he's talking about changing some of the system statewide. So we need to, to concentrate that and look in a detailed fashion at, at all sorts of things, and certainly education being one of the real big uh, portions of our, our general fund budget uh, needs to be honed down and, and uh, look at in, in much greater detail. Great. Thank you for that. We're yeah. looking forward to working with you, and thank you for helping us out with uh, other issues. Appreciate it, Mr. Chairman. Glad, Take to, care. glad to see you. Thank see you. you. Take care. Okay, our thanks to both Senators Dinneman and Eichelberger for sharing their perspectives on the proposed state budget. Next on Keystone Education Radio, we'll focus on a special arts program in an Allegheny area school. I'm joined today by telephone with Jennifer Smoller and Steve Zerbach. They're teachers at Ingomar Middle School in North Allegheny School District. They have a unique program that's been featured through the Success Starts Here campaign. If you're not familiar with the campaign, I would encourage you to visit successstartshere.org and consider submitting your own district success stories. Jennifer, Steve, welcome to the program. You know, through your program, you're teaching students to follow detailed instructions and attend to careful design measurements and drawings to produce a rather intricate stool. Tell us a little bit more about this. Sure. Um, eighth grade students in our school have the opportunity to use many machines and tools to construct this folding stool project. They also have the ability to personalize the top of the stool with our laser engravers. As middle school teachers at North Allegheny, we feel fortunate to still be able to provide kids with the experience of working with everything from basic hand tools to large machines, such as table saws and band saws. Students perform all of the cutting, joining, and finishing processes standard with any wood project. We create custom fixtures for any necessary procedure to make the manufacturing process go smoothly and safely and accurately so that all the students have a chance at being successful. To the casual listener, it sounds like your basic industrial arts project, but how is it different? Well, you're right. Building the stool itself is very much like a basic industrial arts project, but through the use of jigs and fixtures, students are able to safely and accurately create something that would typically require a little bit more time, experience, and a higher skill level. This provides for more of a manufacturing-like setting. And also, by creating custom laser engraver designs and technical drawings using CAD software, the students really become part of the engineering and design process, and they're using computers and machines in a way that wasn't typical in a traditional industrial arts class. How have you witnessed the students benefiting from this type of project, and have the skills they've learned spilled over into other subject areas? Um, I think one of the most exciting things I've noticed in doing this project is how much pride the students have in themselves and their workmanship. They seem truly invested in the project. They pay close attention to detail and work meticulously throughout the entire process. Helping them create something useful from start to finish is very rewarding. And upon completion, seeing a student with a huge smile on their face 
say, I can't believe I made this, is just a great feeling. I would hope that the skills they learn in our class spill over into life in general, and absolutely I see them using skills and techniques that we do in our class in many other subject areas. So if someone is interested in replicating what you've done through the project at their schools, what is your advice to them? I'm going to go ahead and take that one. Um, I would suggest that they, uh, number one, plan ahead. Build a couple uh, yourself first. Uh, make sure you have all the necessary materials, tools, and hardware prepped and ready ahead of time. Uh, it's obviously going to save a lot of time in, uh, later. Uh, make adequate jigs and fixtures that are safe and will allow students to repetitively, repetitively and accurately make precision cuts and perform specific sanding and drilling procedures. And lastly, I think uh, to keep the students busy is very important, providing enough work to keep the students working to, uh, working the entire class period. Uh, any downtime is obviously problematic, as some students tend to cause distractions for others. I also understand you're working with Carnegie Mellon University and robotics in the classroom. Just take a moment and, and tell us a little bit more about this. Absolutely. Uh, North Allegheny uh, has partnered with um, Carnegie Mellon as well as Pitt, actually, um, the University of Pittsburgh's uh, Learning Research and De uh, Development Center has been guiding collaborative work with CMU since 2006. Um, a couple of uh, Pitt's doctoral students have been uh, instrumental in developing lessons uh, and materi teacher materials, as well as working closely with teachers like us. Uh, we at North Allegheny use these lessons and materials in our classrooms, and our mission here at North Allegheny is to help the team at CMU uh, by providing them feedback on the lessons, identifying uh, classroom issues, and helping the team to collect data. Thank you so much, Jennifer and Steve, for sharing your story out of the North Allegheny School District. Thank you so much. Thank Bye -bye. you. There are a lot of great things happening in our public schools, and you can see and share those stories with the public through our Success Starts Here campaign online at successstartshere.org. Thanks again for joining us on Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.